Well, this morning, I wanted to um, complete what we started prior to the new year, which is a series on hope, and I specifically wanted to do that because I think it's appropriate for us to have hope in the beginning of a new year, especially coming out of a year as we just did. And I believe that hope is really the game changer for us in this year. God has called us to hope. He has commanded us to hope. He has given us hope. He will fill our hope. He is the basis of our hope. He is the source of our hope. And when we see Him for who He is, there's no possible way that we would not be hopeful. See, as human beings, we are unavoidably, irreducibly creatures of hope. Every one of us hope. We live by hope. We move by hope. Hope is one of the greatest determining factors of your life. In the series that we are currently in, we previously discussed that hope determines how we feel in the moment. In other words, your level of hope that you currently have is what determines your emotional state. You see, if you have no hope for the future, you would feel miserable. If you currently have no hope, you will be anxious. You will have anxiety. You will possibly suffer depression. If you, on the other hand, have great hope, guess what? You will feel invigorated. <laughs> You'll feel like you have momentum, like you have energy, and you'll be, so, you'll, you'll be emotionally soaring. So we see that hope determines, or the level of hope that we have determines our current emotional state. And for those of you who have been dealing with anxiety and depression, know this, this that it is not a stress problem. It is really a hope problem. We are able to handle stress, but what we are not able to handle is hopelessness. If there's no hope, it is impossible for us to not fall apart. So a problem is not a stress problem. A problem is a hope problem. In Psalm 43 verse 5, the Bible says this, Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. You see? That's the solution to those problems. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in tur turmoil within me? Hope in God, that is the solution to anybody who's cast down, anybody who's depressed, who's anxious, and who's experiencing a lot of turmoil. You see, He is the object of our hope, He is the source of our hope, and He is the strength of our hope. So not only does hope, or the lack of hope, determine how we uh, feel emotionally, but it is also the very thing that drives every single one of our decisions. Every decision is made in hope of a future outcome. For instance, the investor, he buys low in the hopes that he would sell high, right? The young man goes on his knee and he asks the beautiful lady to marry him, his girlfriend to marry him, in hopes that she would do what? Say yes. Every single decision that is made is made on the basis of hope for a specific outcome. And so... Somebody says, well, what about the person that has absolutely no hopes and comes to the place of even wanting to commit suicide? Well, do you realize that that person 
is hoping to end the pain that they're in. And they think that suicide is the answer. Every single decision made by us is a decision of hope, is because of hope, is for the sake of a hopeful outcome. So clearly, hope matters. It determines how you feel. It determines what you choose, the decisions you make. So right up there with love, hope must be the strongest determinism in human behavior. You see, it is, it is therefore dangerous for us if we, if we realize how powerful hope is and realize that it very much so determines and defines our lives. We have to realize how dangerous it therefore is to employ or to embrace a false hope, a hope that is not real. If our hope is built on the wrong basis, we are obviously in trouble. If we have hope in the wrong people, you know what that does. If you have hope in uncertain circumstances or uncertain things, well, we're in trouble, right? If we buy into a false hope or a false promise, then of course, we're in trouble. And hope has become the new gold. I don't know if you know that. I mean, preachers now make so much money selling hope Everybody is looking for hope. Everybody is grasping for hope. People actually turn, build their ministries around a message of being hopeful. They'll say things like, and I've heard somebody say, that no, no, Sunday mornings, all I do is, my, I just want everybody to, to give them a bump in the week. That's all I want to do. It's not about doctrine or truth or salvation. or No, it's just I want to give them a lift for the week. You see, because everybody loves to hear something hopeful, even if it's a lie, it doesn't matter. They just want to hear it because it makes them feel better. So hope is the new gold. But we need to make sure that we never, ever buy into a false hope. Because the Bible says this, and hear me out, it says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. I remember watching TV and I saw this Charlie Chapman show where it, there was no speaking. Of course, there was just piano in the background, right? It was black and white. And there was Charlie Chapman with this nice tall hat, so he drops his hat on the floor. And the whole story, the whole video goes like this. He goes to pick up his hat, and as he's about to pick it up, his foot kicks the hat further. And so he runs after it, and just as he gets there, his foot kicks it further. And then he runs after it, and he, just as he gets there, his foot kicks it even further again. And so this is the whole story. <laughs> I'm like, man, is there not even a twist in the story anywhere? <laughs> Where's the climax, Charlie? But anyway, I looked at that, and I thought, isn't that exactly what the Bible was talking about? Hope deferred makes the heart sick. And you will see that the message that has been sold so widely and has been so extremely popular where people buy into just false hopes. They buy into somebody just blowing smoke at them all day long, every week, week after week, year after year. Eventually, you will see that crowd turn around and be incredibly cynical about everything that they read and see and hear from the pulpit. That's the outworking of selling false hope. Cynicism. 
because hope deferred makes the heart sick. So we have to make sure that we don't buy into questionable hope, hope that's based on faulty premises, on wrong basis, or uncertain things, or wrong people. And we have to be able to draw that line between false hope and true hope. Because when we enter 2021, I want for us as a family to know where to go for hope, to know how to walk in hope, to know how to embrace hope in 2021. Because we need to make sure we build our emotions, our behavior, and our direction in 2021 around a confident and secure scriptural hope. There are three great words in Christianity. Three great words. It is faith, hope, and love. It says it in 1 Corinthians 13, 13. But now faith, hope, and love remain. Now we've talked so much about faith. We've talked so much about love because we seem to think that these are the most prominent two ideas within Christianity. But right in there, God puts hope. And hope is oftentimes ignored. We make light of hope and we think, well, hope is just a feeling. And, you know, things aren't always very hopeful, but we can just keep motoring on. And we almost treat it like it's not a fundamental, prominent Christian uh, concept. We talk so much about everything else, but not so much about hope, when in fact it is hope that is like the light that gets switched on when all things are dark. Hope is uh, what immediately lifts a person's heart. Hope is what brings life to a lifeless situation. When we think of hope, we often think of it as a novelty. We think, well, it would be absolutely wonderful to have hope, but since there isn't a lot of hope around these days, ah, we'll just mope about as our, uh, doing our Christian duties and just keep moving forward. And hey, at least we're not in sin. We just don't have hope. Well, that's not really a biblical perspective of hope. We are, in fact, commanded by God to hope. He didn't suggest it. He commanded it. And when He commands something, it is possible, number one, and it ought to be obeyed, number two. Romans chapter 12, 12, it says this, Be joyful in hope. He didn't suggest it. <laughs> he commanded it. Be joyful in hope. Also, as we read in Psalm 43, verse 5, hope in God. That's a straight-up command. So God commands hope in Him, and what God commands, He provides for. And you will see by the end of today that God is the one who provides hope to you and I. So I believe this message is for, for us as a family. And it is about how blessed you and I are in comparison to what the world has to deal with. I'll, I'll give you an example. We have to draw a line between the way we hope, and the way the world hopes. You see, the world, they have no understanding of the hope that you and I have. And we both are separated by a common language. We talk about hope, and everybody has in their mind a definition of what that is. When the world say, come on, we've got to just, just hope for a better year, you know, they think 
They have one picture in mind. When we hear those words, we hear something else. There is a vast difference between the way the world hopes and the way you and I hope, and it's very important for us to know the difference. So number one, let's draw that line. Let's draw that difference. The first is that the believer's hope is horizontal and it is circumstantial. While your and my hope, our hope is vertical and it is spiritual. Let me explain to you what I mean. People in the world have to place their hope in what, what has already been created. They put their hope in other people. They put their hope in a government. They put their hope in a currency. They put their hope in the dollar. They put their hope in the universe. You've heard some people say, well, we hope the universe <laughs> responds better in 2021. So people in the world have to place their hope in what has been created. While on the other hand, as believers, we place our hope in the one who created everything that other people are hoping in. We actually have our hope in Him, the sovereign creator of all things. Number two, the world's hope is psychological, while your and my hope is theological. The world's hope is psychological. That means they have to look inward for hope, while you and I, we are theological. We look outward to an objective truth from which we grab our hope. You see, to, to have hope, they have to employ psychological techniques like visualizing. I'm sure that you've tried it. I know I have. When I used to be in the whole Anthony Robbins thing, you know, you have to visualize your dream, you have to see your dream, and then you have to somehow paint it on a picture, and then you have to stick it on your fridge there, and you have to just visualize it, and you have to see yourself rich, and you have to see yourself happy, and you have to see yourself healthy, and you have to see yourself, this is visualization, it's all psychological. You don't find any one apostle, let me just tell you, okay, there's not one apostle, there's not one disciple, there's not one early church father who actually practiced that stuff. And today it's mainline Christianity. Nobody in church history practiced that. And so now what they do is they grab onto psychology. They visualize stuff in order to have hope for a future. What they do is they, they have positive affirmations. They will, they will tell themselves how they ought to feel and who they ought to be until they believe that about themselves. They have to have self-generating optimism. And, and, and I know I've had to do this my whole life, and I think it's the most taxing thing in the world is to wake up in the morning and go like, all right, come on, come on, get optimistic about this. Stop being so pessimistic, okay? Things are going to work out. Well, they, haven't already, they already haven't worked out. Yeah, but I don't care. I have to ignore... I have to ignore those realities. I just have to stay optimistic and stay positive. And so we have to make ourselves stay positive. It's hard work. How many of you agree? Yeah, especially if you look around and you're the only one positive, And then you think like, maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> maybe I'm supposed to be bummed out like everybody else. But these people, the world, in order to have hope, they have to lean upon psychology. While you and I, we get to rest in God's eternal words and His guaranteed promises. That's where we find hope. He said it. It's objective. It's outside of me. It's theological. It is spiritual. I look to it and I rest in that. I don't have to lean on psychology. I believe this. I rest in this. I lean upon this. 
and I grab my hope from it. So the world's hope is psychological, while your hope is theological. You see, our hope is not based on optimism, which is psychology, because optimism is not necessarily a bad thing, just so you know, I'm not asking you to be a pessimist. I'm just saying that's not where you get your hope from. That's all I'm saying. It's an it's a, it's a unsure foundation of hope. You see, it's good to be optimistic. It's fine to be optimistic versus being pessimistic the whole time or just saying, hey, I'm a realist, you know, so I'm just living under the circumstances. That's not good either. But optimism often denies reality, and that's the problem. Optimism oftentimes denies realities. You have to live compartmentalized in order to remain optimistic. Because somebody just rejected you, so now you're going to just be optimistic. How? Just ignore the fact that you got rejected. Oh, so somebody just stole $1,000 from me. Well, I'm going to just, okay, I'm going to bury that idea. I'm going to just stay optimistic about this, you know. So sometimes you have to deny realities in order to remain optimistic while true hope not acknowledges God's promises as realities. Follow me in this quick. So the world has to deny certain realities in order to remain optimistic because they need a hope. But you and I, we don't deny realities. We acknowledge God's truth. This becomes our new reality. As a matter of fact, um, the Bible gives us a great example in Abraham, right? So here's Abraham. He's looking to himself, a hundred-year-old man, and he realizes there's no way I'm having another child. And God promised me what? That I'm going to be the father of many nations. So he looks to himself, and now he has to remain optimistic. How's he going to do that? He's going to have to have hope. How's he going to do that? He looks to his wife, and she's 90. And there's no possible chance that she is going to bear him a child. So how is he going to be the father of many nations? You see, Abraham, against all hope, the Bible says, against all vertical hope, uh, all, uh, all uh, um, horizontal hope. He had vertical hope. He hoped in God even when everything else in his life was hopeless. Abraham wasn't being optimistic. He was being spiritual. Putting his hope in God's promise. Abraham wasn't ignoring the facts. He was considering and acknowledging God's word as truth. This is your truth. And that's why you can grab hope from your truth, the truth. So we see that the world's hope is psychological, but your hope is theological. It is scriptural. Number three, the, world, the world's hope is temporal, while your hope is eternal. I love this. If you think about it, the world's hope dies with them. If you have this guy, his name is Johnny, and he has all these grand hopes, what happens to all these grand hopes the day Johnny breathes his last? All those hopes die with Johnny. Their hope is temporal, but your hope is eternal. Why? Because the day you breathe your last... Your most loftiest and ultimate hopes are being realized because 
Folks, it is when I pass away that all my ultimate hopes will be realized. The moment I breathe my last, I will be walking on streets of gold. Isn't that what we're hoping for? I will be walking in a resurrected body. Isn't that where our hope is in? Isn't that what it tells us to hope for? I'll be speaking to Jesus and the saints of old. I mean, it's something to look forward to. While the world, every, th- every hope they've ever had dies with them. All our hopes are realized when we walk through that door called death. Our hope is something the world has no idea of. They cannot even wrap their minds around because our, their hope is temporal, but our hope is eternal. Number four, their hope is fading while your hope is ever increasing. The older they get, the less hope they have. The older you get, the more expectation you walk in. You see in Proverbs 10, 28, it says this, The hope of the righteous is gladness, but the expectation of the wicked perishes. So many of the translations uses the word expectation as hope. So it reads like this, The hope of the righteous is gladness, but the hope of the wicked perishes. It perishes with them. So the interesting thing, however, about hope that I've realized is that the closer somebody is to God, the higher hope, higher degree of hope they walk in. The further somebody is away from God, the less hope they have. And so that's why one of the reasons, and I just, I should probably just say it right here. That's why one of the reasons is I'm going to make a huge effort in 2021 as pastor to, to, to help people understand scriptures. How to read it when you open it. How to understand what you're reading by what we're doing on Wednesday nights. I really want to encourage you, if you have a New Year's resolution, make that your New Year's resolution. Because the closer you are to, to God, now remember, this is, Jesus is the Word made flesh, right? So, so to be close to the Word is to be close to Jesus. He is the Word made flesh. To submit to the Word is to submit to Jesus. To embrace the Word is to embrace Jesus. To understand the Word is to understand Jesus to understand God because He is God. And, and so the closer you are to God, the greater your hope would be because He is the source of hope. The further you are from Him, the lesser hope you will have. For instance, I'll give you a great example. When people do not look to the sovereign God who rules over all, they tend to look to government. Why do you think that throughout history, when communism was on the rise, Christianity was persecuted? You cannot have a communist state and Christianity at the same time because Christians do not answer ultimately to a state. They answer ultimately to the God of the universe. That's why Christians were persecuted in the early, early years, right? Because they were serving a king other than Caesar. And that was treason. And so they were killed for it. And so when people turn from God, 
Who else can they turn to but government? There is no other higher authority to those people than government. Government is the highest authority. To you and I, God is the highest authority. So it doesn't really matter to us what happens in government. We hope it goes well because then we have a comfortable life. And if it doesn't go well, well, who cares? We are going to serve God. You see, our sovereign God is the one who lifts one up and who brings another down. The Bible says governments, the government will rest upon His shoulders. He is the king of the universe. So it makes sense that godless people would look to government. It makes sense that godless people will, will fight for communism. Because who else can they look to to solve their world's problems? Who else would solve their world's problems if government's not going to do it? Because there's no God to turn to. Who else can they ask to protect them if government's not going to protect them? Who else is going to provide for them if government's not going to provide for them? You see, they have to appeal to the highest authority they know of, believe in, or have access to if they do not believe in God. So your hope is in human institutions. I mean, it's horrible to think that people live that way, but they do. You and I, on the other hand, our hope is something they know nothing of. We have a hope way beyond human institutions. So just to tie it together, the unbeliever's hope is horizontal and circumstantial, while your hope is vertical and it is spiritual. The world's hope is psychological. They look inward. While your hope is theological, you look Godward. Their hope is temporal, and it dies with them, but your hope is eternal. Death realizes your hope. Their hope is fading, while your hope is ever increasing as time goes by. <clears throat> we have to learn what it means to hope as Christians. Because as the world gets darker, we have to know what to hold on to and what to hope for. There are three categories of hope that I would like to outline. Three categories of hope. And I want you to evaluate which category you yourself are in. And uh, because it goes from weakest category to strongest category. The weakest category, category of hope is what we call yearning hope. Then secondly, we have a hope called pregnant hope. And then thirdly, we have a hope called confident hope. So we have yearning hope, pregnant hope, and then we have confident hope. Yearning hope is when you long for something. Yearning hope is when you're wishing for something. We call this wishful thinking. Man, I just, I just hope things are going to be different this year, you know. I just wish things would be different. Or they'll say things like, I wish I had more money. Man, I hope, I hope money comes somehow. <laughs> it's just a hope, you know, it's a wish. I really hope I have enough gas in the tank to get me back home tonight. <laughs> you know, it's, it's wishful thinking. I really hope 2021 is going to be better than 2020. <clears throat> There's no basis for it. It's just, it's just something I wish for and I, I long for, I yearn for, and I hope, okay? But then we have the second hope called pregnant hope. Pregnant hope 
is an expectant hope. This hope has more substance to it because it is based on a greater reality. It's like a lady who's pregnant, six months pregnant. And, uh, you know, she has a pregnant hope. She has a very, she has an expectant hope. She's expecting a definite outcome here. It's pregnant hope, expectant hope. That's like, that's like the farmer planting tomato seeds. And based on that, on that basis, he has an expected harvest. He has an expected outcome because of the seed that was sown. Versus the, the first hope, which is the yearning hope, that's kind of like the guy that walks around his farm going like, man, gee, I just, I just wish tomatoes would come up everywhere without ever sowing any seed, right? That's just like wishful thinking. But the expected hope, the pregnant hope, is the one that says, I have sown seeds, and now that harvest is coming up. Or she is pregnant, so she will be giving birth. Now, that's not a secure hope, though, because we also know that some have had miscarriages. Some farmers have, some farmers have had droughts, and because of this, they have had, they've seen crop failure. But then thirdly, we get what is called the confident hope, the confident hope. This is the most secure. This is the guaranteed hope. This is a hope that springs from knowing for certain that what you are hoping for is, in fact, guaranteed. This hope that is guaranteed, the Bible talks about, this confident hope, is the one that is absolutely rooted in Scriptures alone, and it is concerning God's purposes alone. This is a guaranteed hope, a confident hope, because God's Word cannot return void. It has to accomplish that which it was sent forth to do. You can take it to the bank. His word is confident. It is eternal. His promises are yea and amen. Heaven and earth will pass away, but His word will remain forever. You can rest in this. You can rely on it. And you can take it to the bank because it is eternal. Hebrews chapter 6 verse 19 says, This hope, this confident hope, speaking about salvation, this hope, we have as an anchor to our soul. A hope both sure and reliable. There it is. This hope that we find in scriptures alone, none of the other stuff, none of the horizontal hopes, none of the psychological hopes, None of the smoke, blowing smoke all day long. None of that kind of stuff. But the ones that we find in scriptures, this is the confident hope. And the Bible says right here, which is both sure and reliable. There is no doubt in this hope. But the Bible also says this hope serves as an anchor. So I'm sure that you've noticed, and it's pretty concerning especially in the church also, that throughout 2020, people have really kind of flown off the handle, haven't they? I mean, like, people now have the right to just start screaming at you in public places. Because <laughs> you didn't do what they expected. They had much higher hopes for you than what you are delivering. And so they'll just, they'll just voice their opinion, right? 
and they'll become, and, and then we'll, we'll just see some insane things happen. And people are fear-driven. Fear sells more than anything right now. But you might ask why. When I look at this verse, it explains it to me. It says that this hope is an anchor to our soul. Well, what is your soul? Your soul is your will, your mind, and your emotions. Your will, your mind, and your emotions. And when your will, your mind, and your emotions has no anchor that stabilizes it, it drifts off like a ship at sea, and it's tossed back and forth like a ship on the ocean during a storm. And that's exactly what the world's soul is like right now. And that's exactly what much of the church's soul is like right now. They have no control over it. All you need to do is there's a scripture in the Bible that says, and God will make sure that they become so anxious and fearful that even the, rust, the ruffling of, of, a, of a, um, a leaf will make them run as armies pursuing them, even, then no one, even though nobody's behind them. Even nobody's pursuing them, they will be running because they fear everything. They live in fear. I mean, if you, if you consider the amount of news people are watching today and compare it to the amount of scriptures, scriptural truth they're hearing today, no wonder people are absolutely like that ship on the ocean in the middle of a storm without an anchor. The Bible says right here that this hope we have is an anchor of the soul. It is an anchor of the soul, and it does what? It is both sure and reliable. Sure and reliable. That's what this hope does for you and I. Family, if you can learn to turn down the volume, the amplifier of worldly hope in your life and turn up the hope that you find from scriptures, if you can just put a flashlight on this and dim the lights on everything else, you'll find that your soul will have an anchor that'll make your will, your, your emotions and your mind so stable that it doesn't matter what kind of fear they sell you next, you'll be fine. You'll be stable. This will be your, fear, your, your most fearless, fearless year ever. It just depends on where you find your hope from. So what does an anchor do? It keeps the ship from drifting off. And secondly, an anchor gives the ship stability during a storm. I want to finish off by asking this last question because I think it's very important for us to be able to put a finger on where does this hope come from? Now we understand that God is the basis of our hope, right? And in, in previous sessions in this series, we talked about <clears throat> how little Johnny ended up being so extremely ecstatic over the fact that his father is going to take him to Disney at the end of this week, right? And so we, we, for those of you that haven't followed it, you have great joy if you have high hopes. Anybody with extremely high hopes bursts forth naturally with great joy. 
So in order to have great joy, you have to have high hope. But in order to have high hope, you have to believe somebody's promise. You have to believe, because see, hope isn't something that you can see. Hope is believing in something that you can't see. So you have to believe somebody's promise in order to have great hope, and you have to have great hope in order to have exceeding joy. And so because Johnny, this character, has great joy, uh, we know that he has great hope, and he has great hope because he can believe what somebody told him and promised him about the future. But he only believes what somebody said because he knows who they are and that they don't lie. And in the same way, you and I know that our God cannot lie. Therefore, what he has said can be believed. And if we read through all his promises and we believe them, therefore, we have hope for the future. And now that we have hope for the future, we have ecstatic joy. So the question is, where does hope come from? Hope comes from the fact that you can have faith in what God has said. Why can you have faith in what God has said? Because you know God. And so it is so important for us to study who God is. In 2020, I, I, I did this, and it kind of backfired a little bit. If you remember, we did a short series called The Attributes of God. The Attributes of God. And it was almost like um, people were offended over it. Because uh, the moment you talk about who God really is, people really start having opinions. <laughs> and you know why? Because that's where they find out that they themselves are not. And so when, we, when I started talking about the attributes of God, I did so because until we know who God is, until that day, we will struggle believing what God has said. And if we cannot believe what God has said, we will not be able to draw hope from those promises. And we are going to have to rely upon worldly hope once again. So really, we have to go back to the beginning and discover the character of God, the attributes of God, the aseity of God, the omnip omnipotence of God, His sovereignty and His supremacy. Most people aren't interested in that stuff. All they want is they want hope. I want hope. Give me hope. Let me turn on this guy because he's much more hopeful and optimistic than everybody else. And the guy that's teaching you about the aseity of God, you're like... <gasps> and you don't realize that until you get that down... You can't really have faith. All you can have is faith in your faith, but you can't have faith in the God whom you do not know. And so we have to become a lot more familiar with God. We have to become acquainted with God. We have to know God's attributes in order to understand that He is a God that does not lie. He's always the same. He's immutable. He does not mutate. There's a whole entire doctrine about it. It's great. But he's immutable. He does not change. He Therefore, that's why he cannot lie. That's why when he says something, take it to the bank. And if you can be solidly convinced of what he has said, you will have hope. So where does this hope come from? This confident hope comes from your knowledge of God. 
That's where it comes from. That's the first, your knowledge of God. Knowing God. Knowing who He is. Having the ability to explain His character to anybody and everybody. Why do you think the Bible says, and give a defense for the hope that is within you? you hope is defensible. You can defend this hope that you have. Give a defense for the hope that is within you. Well, if you don't know the attributes of God, then it's going to not be possible for you to give a defense of the hope that you have because the hope you have is rooted in the character of God. I hope you followed me. So where does this confident hope come from? From Scripture, second. It's first rooted in God's character, and then, of course, you glean from it, you learn from it, you find it, you source it from what He has told you. So we have to know Scripture. But thirdly, where does this hope come from? It's uh, from, very clearly explained right here, but tucked away in a Scripture that we sometimes just gloss over because it's like, it's like the, end of, the, end of, the end of a prayer. It's right here in 2 Thessalonians 2.16. 2 Thessalonians 2.16, it says this. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and gave us... All right, pause. Pause for a second. Can you hear right here? He's telling us about something that God has given us already. All right? What is it that God has given us? We have to find that in this verse. Now, may our Lord Jesus Christ Himself and God our Father who loved us and gave us, what? Eternal comfort and good hope. Eternal comfort and good hope. So the good hope that we're talking about right here comes from God as a gift. Can you please say, hope is a gift from God? Uh, let's try it again. Hope is a gift from God. So God gives us this hope. The question is how? It explains it right there. It says through grace. So God, who loved us, gave us good hope through grace. On the basis of His love, He gave you the gift of hope through the means of His grace. Based on His love for you, He gifted you with hope through the means of His powerful grace. Grace be multiplied to you, and because of that, you will be hopeful. So I have to answer this question now. Who is humble? Uh, let me, no, no, let me. Who receives grace? <laughs> the humble, right? Who receives grace? The humble. The Bible says very clearly, God gives grace to the humble, and He resists the proud. He gives grace to the humble, and He resists the proud. So we have to ask the question, who is the humble? The world has an idea that the person who's humble is the person who's shy. Oh, he's just so shy. Look at him, he's so humble. The world has the idea that the person who's humble is the person who's in, in, unsure and insecure. It's like, oh, they're just such a humble, just a humble guy. The world teaches that the humble person is the person that refuses to take a position on anything. No, I'm just going to, I'm not going to take a position on anything. I'm just, the, the humble person is the nice guy. 
The world wants you to believe that the humble person isn't just the shy, insecure, and nice person who refuses to confront. He, the, the, the humble person is the person who refuses to have an opinion. Oh, I don't have an opinion. Doesn't that just frustrate you when there's somebody that cannot take a stand up for anything? Or they love the one they're worth. <laughs> it's like they'll just, they'll just believe whatever the person is, person believes whom they're worth. So the, the, that's not humility. Humility is not saying, okay, I'll be, I'll be the, you know, I'll be the mat you can just, you can just walk all over. Yeah, I'm humble. That's not humility. I want to give you a, a biblical definition of humility versus pride. Humility, and it's important to know what this is because God gives what to the humble? Grace. By means of God's grace, He gifts you with hope. So if you can connect those dots, that'll be wonderful. So we're talking about what is humility. Biblical humility is the person that refuses to take from God God's right to decide what's good and what's evil. The humble person is the one that says, God, you are God, therefore you have the right to say, this is sin and that's not sin. This is right and that is wrong. This is righteous, that is unrighteous. This is holy and just, that is a transgression and evil. You see, the humble person says, I bow my knee to your decisions between right and wrong. That's the humble person. The proud person, he's the person that says the other thing, the other way. Says it the other way. He's the one who says, well, that's not how I see it. I don't see it that way. The proud person is the one that says, well, you know what? Um, all I can tell you is my best friend, him and, him and his significant other, both those guys, are just the most wonderful people I've ever met in my life. And they love each other with all their hearts, and how is love wrong? Don't you always hear it like that? Like, well, my best friend is gay, and, you know, uh, therefore, you know, I just, I just don't know. Well, that is, folks, that is, that is the most arrogant, prideful thing any person can ever do. Why? Because it is you saying, God, forget you. Forget you. I don't want to hear it anymore. I'm telling you what is good. These guys love each other, all right? And how can love be wrong? So what this guy has done is he's taken upon himself the job of deciding what is moral, what is immoral. What is good, what is evil, what is right, what is wrong. And he's taken it out of God's hands. That is pride. That is arrogance. And God says he resists the proud. He resists the proud. Now, of course, there are a million examples I can use. That's one of the clearest ones we have, okay? <laughs> so, but there are a million examples. Like, let me not start. But when the Bible, when the Bible tells us right from wrong, and we bow our knee to that, that is humble. When we have an opinion over that, now that's pride. And God says that He gives grace to the humble, and He resists 
the proud. So what I'm saying to you is in order to humble yourself before God so that He will gift you with the grace of hope, what we have to do is we have to get back in the Scriptures and every time we open up anywhere, we say, God, you're right, I'm wrong. Now, speak to me. God, I bow my knee and I drop my opinion faster than anything else because I want to know what you know. I want to think like you think. I want to speak like you speak. I want to believe what you believe because you are right and I'm not. That's the humble person. And when we become humble before God, He graces us. And that person who's humble is always the person who has most hope. It's the humble person. The person with the least amount of hope is the proud individual even if he doesn't know it. So you and I do not need to earn our hope. Why not? Because it's a grace that God gifts us with. He disperses that hope to us through grace. You see, God is the source of the gift of hope. God is the object of our hope. God is the provider of the future that we hope for. God disperses His good hope to us through His grace. And that is why humble people are always the most hopeful people. So today, I would like to close with this benediction that we find in 2 Thessalonians 2.16. And um, I want to pray it over you because that's exactly what this was. The apostle prayed this over them. He blessed them with this benediction. And this benediction is a benediction of the impartation of hope. And I believe that you're going to have the most hopeful 2021. Amen. Why? Because you refuse to tap into false hopes. And you're going to be adamant to go to the Word of God and tap into a secure, immovable, eternal hope. So why don't you raise your hands with me right now? Now, Father God, may our Lord Jesus Christ Himself and our God and Father who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace comfort your hearts and establish you in every good work and word in 2021. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. 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 Did you get something out of the word? Amen.